doing here? Complaining about the universe like always. Okay, okay. I, I gotta say something. Okay, say it. I want you to imagine, you know, in like fancy, new age, built up, fake downtown kind of feely places they put in suburbs? Yes. They always put designed parallel parking. Design. What do you mean by designed? So, yeah, in like a major city, parallel parking is just that the street happened to be three feet wider than the normal <laughs> street. And so they put and they, so they allow you to parallel park. Yeah. But in designed parallel parking, what they've done is there's uh, like the street and then there's like a little cutout on yeah. the side of the street where you can parallel park. Yeah. When they do those little cutouts, what they do is they have like a little triangular taper into it and then like, yep. you know, 10, 10 car lengths worth of parking and then a triangular, triangular taper thing coming out of it back to the normal street. Oh, I think I know what you might say. So imagine if <laughs> at, at the end of the triangular taper, yeah. then 20 more feet... And that is where they put the no parking past this sign. And so I parked in that little spot that happened to just – it was before the triangular taper bit. And so I didn't even think about it. And here I have in my hand, city of Houston. Oh, no. Parking violation. (laughs) Um, And so what I think I'm going to do is rather than pay this – Fight it. Is just leave Texas. Oh. And if I end up leaving Texas in the near future, that's why. I see. Okay. So this is all like if if for whatever reason you randomly, l- randomly, let's say, move to, I don't know, Colorado or theoretically San Diego, then uh, it would probably be because you're not going to pay this ticket. Do you know how much money this is for? I actually don't. I'm going to say uh, 80 So imagine a bullshit situation like this where you parked completely validly. Technically. But they've just douchily placed their no parking sign. Yeah. How much do you think that ticket should be worth? Because if the answer oh. isn't zero dollars, go <laughs> fuck yourself. No, no, no. You're wrong. I, I, I'm, I'm, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that based on your description that you parked – on the correct side of the no parking sign, you should owe zero dollars and have zero tickets. But if the question then extends to, well, assuming that you had actually violated the law and parked on the other side, the no parking sign of the no park, the no parking side of the no parking sign, I'm going to put it, I feel like that's like a 40 or but I'm guessing it's more like 80 can't see it. oh 40 yes okay okay cool so i actually guessed profit that's that is still too high considering you didn't break the law now here's the thing rob did you take some pictures like i would love to see a you know obviously you don't need to fright it because you won't be in texas <laughs> theoretically again uh but I would have loved to see a picture of your car with the ticket, with the sign where it is, and then, like, literally go fight it and just fucking drop that on the judge's desk and be like, need I say any more? No, no. I think technically I was past the no parking sign. It's oh. just they placed the no parking sign to be a deliberate trap oh. where there was 20 feet of legitimate parking past the sign. Oh, sorry. I, I misinterpreted. So what I was visualizing was you got the slot, 
Then you got 20 feet of no slot. Then you have no parking sign, and you parked in the 20 feet of no slot. What you're saying is that you've got the slot, and you've got a no parking sign 20 feet inside of the, the, the slot. And you parked in the slot, but technically on the wrong side of the sign. Correct. It's a deliberate trap. I see. So that, so that every 30 to 45 minutes, the city of Houston makes $40. Yeah, that does sound like a deliberate trap. You should take that to the Texas Supreme Court, buddy. Just go all the way. Um, I do wonder, is there any conceivable reason? Is it like a load-unload zone? Is it like a bike or motorcycle something? Is there any conceivable reason why there's no parking past that sign but still a slot? I did look around for this, actually, to see if there was any particular reason. Okay. Um... Just in front of the slot, uh huh. the reason why the slot ends where it ends is because there's a driveway. Okay. And that driveway has a stop sign in front of it. Uh. So it could be a too close to a stop sign thing, but the stop sign is on the outside of the curb. So where I parked my car was between, like, there was a line you could draw down the length of the road from that stop sign mm-hmm. that would never intersect my car. Yeah, and... and- there are lo- plenty of laws around uh, not parking a certain distance to a stop sign, but I have almost always assumed that they were logical and it was like on a street without a slot. So you don't want to have cars all the way up to the stop sign on a street without a slot because you know that you know it may obstruct maybe your truck's big or something and you obstruct the stop sign or something. That makes sense. But when you got a slot, it's not even physically possible for even a large truck to obstruct that stop sign, you know, in that slot because it's kind of off to the side, you know? And then, as, inter- as interesting as this conversation is, I do want to take it another step further and complain that half of that stop sign is already obstructed by a tree. But, yes. Yeah, so. so, if that's the argument, then I think they have some landscaping they got to worry about. Yeah. And that has happened to me before. More than any car blocking a stop sign, I've had the issue where there's a there's a tree blocking a stop sign, and I've almost blown stop signs due to tree blockage. I don't think I've ever blown a stop sign due to car blockage. Um, and any time where you've got cars that park, that could conceivably park that close to a stop sign, it's I'm kind of like being cautious anyway. Because it's on, like, weird Seattle back roads where, like, almost everything is a stop sign anyway. And so I just assume that at an intersection, I'm going to slow down and, like, yieldish anyway. Um, In this particular neighborhood, it's frustrating because, like, every other street is a stop sign and every other street between those is just a the other way is stopped. They're not four-way stopped. They're just two-direction stopped and every other one is different. Interesting. And so, like, I like nobody seems to know exactly which is which. So sometimes people blow straight through the ones they're not supposed to and stop at the ones that they aren't supposed to. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's not done well. And it's a very busy, kind of hip, popular area. Yeah, they it's just they do better. They either need to, like, one-wayers with uh, lights or a lot of cities like that, especially when it's, like, like you said, hip and things like that, will start going to roundabouts. Which I don't know. Oh, no, not in Texas. Yeah, I I was going to say, I don't know about in Texas. I'm a personal fan of roundabouts, um, but, you know. Houston has this one spot where there's two roundabouts attached to each other. 
So there's like eight different streets, <laughs> and they get and they 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 navigate these eight streets that come together with two consecutive roundabouts. So you can go through one roundabout into the next one to make the infinity sign, yeah. and to get up to the street you want to get up to. It's crazy. That's and amazing. If you drive on that with a whole bunch of Texas drivers once, you will understand why <laughs> you don't want to go that route here because people just can't hang. That's amazing. Um, there's not a ton in the Seattle area, but there's one right where I get off the highway. There's actually similar to, like you said, a doubler, kind of a doubler. There's a short amount of street in between the two. And I've always found that it flows real nicely. It's right where I get off the highway onto the road that I go to. And it seems to just people figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. Does not flow nicely in Houston. So when we not. after we you know we talked about last week that we would be meeting up for a, a wedding. Wedding completed went great. I thought your speech was fantastical. Appreciate it. Um, I really did enjoy it. I teared up a little. Uh, to be fair, I tear up almost every time, but <laughs> but I did tear up on yours. Uh, but we went to Austin afterwards. And one of our friends lives in an area kind of like, I believe, northwest-ish, I want to say, of Austin, called The Domain. And it's really cool, like really, like kind of like you said, young and hip. And they've got same kind of deal, these stop signs everywhere. And I'm like, man, if they had just roundabouted all of this shit, this would be like magical. Uh, but they didn't, sadly. And maybe you're right. Maybe Texas can't hang with the roundabouts. <laughs> If any city could hang, I bet it would be Austin. Yeah. So, um, we also went and saw the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Museum or Wildflower Center. Sorry, yeah, I think it's Wildflower Center. Pretty freaking cool. Um, blue bonnets and shit. I don't know the names of, but colorful. <laughs> something was called like a primrose evening primrose or something like that. There was all kinds of cool stuff there. And just a really nice landscape. So if you're ever in Austin and you don't mind driving a little southwest-ish, I believe, then check out the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center and pay me $1 for this uh, ad (laughs) space. And if you want to send us any other dollars for any other particular reason (laughs) or no particular reason, uh, let us know. We'll set up a thing. Yeah, that's true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slide us into our next topic. Um, this, this next section, I think both of the next sections, will be brought to you by Rob. And uh, Not necessarily true. Oh, really? Um, I feel like I used to call you like, what did I used to call you every once in a while? Like Robble Stiltskin or something like that? Did I ever do that? Was that? That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, I think I did that once. Why did I do that? The fuck? Um, anyway... Uh, we cheated a little bit because the tagline of our show is Aaron and Rob discuss things for which the other has not quite prepared. And in this case, Rob sent me uh, links to both so that I could mini prepare. I didn't do anything other than just watch the thing and read the thing you told me to watch and read. Uh, But I'm technically more prepared than I would have been otherwise. Uh, Yeah, so one of them... Um, well, which, is there one you want to get into first? Ooh, um, I feel like the shorter of the, well, it might be up to, I bet the shorter of the two is Comey. Okay, let's talk about Comey. That's a guess. 
Um, Mr. Comey has been doing a media tour for his new book, um, where he shits on <laughs> Trump pretty much for a hundred and two hundred pages. Uh, it, he 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 says that the book. If you don't know who James Comey is, okay, let's talk about who James Comey is. To, to make yeah, Rob, a who person. is James Comey? Never heard of him. James Comey was the director of the FBI, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, he was put into that position by the second George Bush. Uh, that sounds like a good guess, and I wouldn't be surprised if you're correct, but I will check. He was put into the director of the FBI position by the second George Bush, kept on by Obama, and then given early forced retirement by Trump. Correct. He was widely, I mean, as far as FBI directors go, respected. Like, I think a good FBI director is one that nobody knows who they are if they're not super in tune to the to the justice system in the United States. That's true. Um, I, th- I think if you don't know who the director of the FBI is, and the director of the FBI is doing a damn fine job. And he was doing a pretty good job at that through the Bush years and through the Obama years until he kind of ran amok with some Democratic people, some Democratic voters, with how he handled Hillary Clinton's investigation into her email situation. Correct. And slight interjections here. He was actually appointed by Barack Obama, um, but he was uh, I, he was the deputy attorney general as well uh, during the Bush administration. Okay, so and, Bush had him in his cabinet, and then Obama made him an FBI director. And he was a registered Republican both during the Bush administration and when he was appointed. Um, actually, yeah, when he was appointed. Uh, I need to... Uh, are they appointed? <laughs> the FBI director? Yeah. yeah okay. Wasn't sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Correct. Appoint- uh, okay. Appointed. Sorry, I, I blew your flow. No, he ran afoul with Democrats with the Hillary Clinton thing, and then he ran afoul with Republicans with the Trump-Russia investigation stuff. And then there were a whole bunch of leaks out of the FBI, and there's a lot of information coming out. And then he did some very strange things as far as FBI directors are concerned. And uh, there was pretty much calls for his being fired from both sides at different times. Yeah. For different reasons, and so when he did get fired, uh, it was still shocking because the timing was poor. Yeah, but it wasn't surprising that it happened. Um, sure. And when he got fired is when Robert Mueller became the special prosecutor covering the Russia investigation. Correct. Okay, that's who James Comey is. Now he's written a book shitting on Trump. <laughs> uh, there will be a link to the book place to buy the book in the comments below if you're interested but he was on the colbert rapport that's what i sent you the link to a video of earlier also that link to that video will be in the description below you should watch that video before we continue with this we will give you a minute cool all right so (laughs) um i just i thought that uh you know his i want to talk about it a little bit not too much just because i thought it was interesting yeah he seemed like I've just it's incredible to me that someone who has much power as him is now being this honor honest and candid yeah. about the situation. Like I wouldn't have been surprised if he came out with this book and did all of this stuff after Trump left office. Yeah. But for a former FBI director to 
to give this level of detail into their interactions with the current sitting president seems weird to me. Yeah. Your thoughts? Um, I think it seems extraordinary. Um, but kind of what he said is is right now is somewhat extraordinary, right? Like, this is not a normal time. And uh, I think one of the things he said to Colbert, and, and honestly, I think Colbert did a pretty good job of interviewing him. There's a whole nother section. The whole interview is 32 minutes. The first part, I think, that was in the show was only 11 minutes. Uh, but the whole, in the middle section of the interview, or interview um, you know, Colbert is pretty pointed about his questions about why he announced the end of the Clinton investigation, why he announced 11 days before the investigation that it was being semi-reopened based on the emails that were on uh, Anthony Weiner's computer, so on and so forth. And I thought Colbert did a fairly good job. Now, obviously, Colbert is pretty biased and doesn't like President Trump at all. Um, but at the same time, I thought he did a pretty good job of discussing both the Trump sections and the Clinton investigation sections and kind of being a little bit pointed with him. Um, but I think Comey had some type of quote in there, like Trump has tweeted him about him like 50 times. And he said, you know, the last time Trump tweeted about him, like a few days ago, his reaction was to shrug. That's what he said. And he like physically shrugged. And he was like, but then I kind of stopped myself and realized, like, if I'm shrugging, if I'm the former director of the FBI who was fired by the current president for basically not being loyal <laughs> and um, the president tweets about me, tweets about how a private citizen, a current private citizen should be locked up or whatever and calls me slimy Jim or whatever, and I'm shrugging about it then that means everyone else is shrugging about it. And his point was, that's not normal. Like, like the fact that a president is tweeting like that or just making any type of comments like that is extraordinary. And, you know, I think that's kind of where he's coming from is it is extraordinary. And um, he did say that he had it vetted by the FBI and the Department of Justice for any classified material and it was signed off or whatever. Um, and I would say it is extraordinary and it does maybe feel a little weird. Um, I don't think I would mind it if it were the opposite. Like if this were Hillary Clinton and she fired Comey and he wrote about how, or, you know, about how she asked him for loyalty or, you know, ask the vice president and the attorney general to leave to have a private conversation about dropping, you know, investigations into Michael Flint or into the national, what was he at the time? Whatever he was at the time. I can't even keep him fucking straight anymore because they shuffle around so often and get fired and hired and shit. Um, you know, then I don't think I would mind, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Democrat and I, I support Hillary's policies, but you know, those actions are weird. Those are extraordinary actions. And it's not, you know, that the FBI director who was fired is, is writing a book about how extraordinary his interactions were with Hillary Clinton or with, um, and, and that's one of the things he writes about too. You know, I'm kind of, I'm pretty in the middle on the Hillary stuff. I think it did affect the election. I don't necessarily... I don't know 
if I were the acting director of the FBI with the information that he had, if I would or would not have done the same thing. You know, his argument was that, you know, Loretta Lynch, while he respects her, he believes she did some things that looked fishy in his decision to kind of break the norm and make the announcement about the close of the Clinton investigation himself. It was kind of built into the fact that he wanted to both make sure that the information was out there and ensure that all the naysayers couldn't naysay afterwards, or at least to as high of a degree. Because, you know, he said something like he would send the report to the uh, Justice Department and then they would put out like a one-liner, you know, uh, case closed, Hillary Clinton didn't do anything wrong. And he felt like because of how politicized it was, he wanted to really put a nail in the coffin. And, and I would say, I don't know if that was the right decision, but I also don't know that I would have made a different decision. And obviously I don't have a billionth of the amount of data that he had when he made that decision. Um, but I, I feel like I, I would fault him. Maybe this is maybe this is my perception. I would fault him to a fairly less degree than your average strong Democrat or strong liberal. So it's extraordinary in general. Yeah, I think that the the Loretta Lynch thing, doing if she did something fishy that could make it lead to look like she was better friends with Obama than maybe she should have been. Yeah. And that's maybe giving the perception that she's got a clouded judgment on this and can't be trusted with making these decisions. So he's going to come out and make the decision on his own so that he's not under the same cloud as those two. Yeah. And the response to that to be do something just as fishy and weird and out of protocol, I don't know if that is. Yeah. (laughs) And he said that. and, And one of the things that I love about Comey is he is very externally aware like he said at least six or seven times in his interview when when colbert was asking these them he's these questions he said he would say i chose comma and reasonable people would disagree and can disagree and i respect that comma and then he would say you know what he chose to do and, and i just think that's kind of what if if the very beginning of the interview that's what the book is about it is you know, a leader, a strong and ethical leader should, maybe they make wrong decisions, but in general, they put this this kind of locus of information gathering and locus of responsibility externally rather than internally. Your locus of self-control should be internal, but your locus of, you know, beat leadership should be external and constantly looking at others and constantly getting the feedback and data that you need to be a good and ethical uh, leader. And I just thought every time he said that he flogged that horse to death because he constantly said reasonable people would disagree. And he said for both making that um, statement about the close of the the Clinton the investigation and by and about the letter to Congress that he wasn't sure whether it would leak or not, but thought it probably would. You know, he he said reasonable people would would disagree, and I had to, but I had to make that call. You know, and I just thought that's that's 
kind of cool that he keeps saying that, that he's willing to admit that he may have made the wrong call. He still said for both instances he thinks he made the right call. Um, but I think it's just very, you know, fairly telling that him as a person is willing to admit that he made mistakes and that he felt like on both those accounts he had to choose from a lesser of two evils. And he thought he chose the lesser of the two. But like he said, reasonable people could disagree. And I would say on both, I'm very in the middle. I think that it definitely the, the 11 days before definitely affected the election. Um, but I, I, you know, I think his concern was they conceal it. It comes out that, that Clinton was actually trying to, you know, circumvent the security measures of the United States government, you know, the day after the election. And then he's in a fucking shitstorm where people are saying, why did you conceal this new information? You had a hundred thousand emails what the fuck? And so for him, it was like lesser of two evils, you know? I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I think that, you know, given 11 days, there's no reasonable way you can get through 100,000 emails. So the best thing to do is to say nothing until you've investigated it. Like, yeah, should the police always say, hey, look, we have a whole bunch of evidence we have to go through before we do anything, like, on every case? Absolutely not. They never do that. So this is the one and only time this is ever, like, done in a high prosecutorial... Prosec- uh, what's the word? Prosecutorial? Pro- yeah, prosecutorial. Pro- that, that one. Something. <laughs> uh, level. I um, agree with you. And that was... Colbert was very pointed about that and, and I think made that strong point. Um, and I would say I generally dis- I generally agree with you, um, but I can see where he's coming from. Does that make sense? Like I don't I don't think I necessarily agree with him, but I can see where he's coming from. And it sounded like he didn't make that decision lightly. And like he said, reasonable people can disagree. Um, and it, you know, it turns out that there was nothing there, and that was kind of Colbert's point too. It's like you weren't going to be able to get it, like, like go through all of this. Why stir this pot, you know, when it's eleven days before the election? Um, and I can see where he's coming from, and I don't necessarily um, agree. But I feel like, I, like I said, as as. For your standard Democrat, I think I empathize with him a little bit more than the average, the average liberal. <laughs> I, I can see where he's coming from. I see the decision he had to make as being difficult, and I think he made the wrong decision. Yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the cool things about him, is I think he would respect you saying that to his face without tweeting you about it. <laughs> also, he's six foot eight, so I probably would. Holy shit, Really? Yeah. Dang. I did not know he was that tall. That's huge. Yeah. I probably I probably would resist the urge to do any direct criticism to his face. <laughs> Though I would give him a very stern, disapproving look. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. The next thing we're going to talk about uh, was actually suggested by to me by my dad. He thought that it was it was an interesting uh, re- relevant idea, yeah. philosophy to many of the other things we've talked about, and I agreed. Uh-huh. Um, and we've also even talked about this philosopher 
Yes, we have. On the podcast before. Um, it's Carl Popper. Once again, welcome back to the podcast, <laughs> old dead white guy. <laughs> um, and this is called The Paradox of Tolerance. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read you the description, and then I'm going to ask Aaron some things about about how he feels about things. Yeah. The paradox of tolerance was described by Karl Popper in 1945. The paradox states that if a society is tolerant without limit, their ability to be tolerant will eventually be seized or destroyed by the intolerant. (laughs) Popper came to the seemingly paradoxical conclusion that in order to remain a tolerant society, the society must be intolerant of intolerance. Yeah. How do you feel about the punch a Nazi movement? See a Nazi punch a Nazi. So... I feel like that's a prime example of being intolerant of intolerance. It is. So uh, there's a passage where he proposed this paradox. And there, th- I want to read one section of it that I think is interesting. So it talks about, you know, blah, blah, blah. Unlimited tolerance must lead to the disappearance of tolerance, blah, blah, blah. But he said... In this formulation, I do not imply, for instance, that we should always suppress the utterance of intolerant philosophies. As long as we can counter them by rational argument and keep them in check by public opinion, suppression would certainly be unwise. So that sentence to me says, you know, assuming that we're in a state where rational discussion and rational um, argument continues to be a tenant of this, you know, infinitely tolerant society, then by definition, you will be, you, you can maintain your tolerance. But then his next sentence, but we should claim the right to suppress them if necessary, even by force, for it may easily turn out that they are not prepared to meet us on the level of rational argument, but begin by denouncing all argument. They may forbid their followers to listen listen to rational argument because it is deceptive and to teach them to answer arguments by the use of their fists or pistols. So his argument is that if the society... We're, we're also not just perfectly tolerant, but perfectly rational, then we can continue to be perfectly tolerant. But what he's saying is that eventually, the more and more tolerant we try to become, there will rise up an intolerant faction that doesn't feel as though they require the use of rational argument and rational discussion to breed their intolerance. Right, And so that's where he feels it breaks down. When you take a church principle, let's say, that teaches its, philosophy, its, its followers that this is the principle of a church, you don't need rational argument. You don't need to discuss why your intolerance should be allowed. You just know that it was divinely given to you. And I think that's the key point. Is and that's kind of the frustration for me too. Is is because I've had people say you're being intolerant by not respecting my views, and I'm like, 
I'm sorry, your shitty old ass book doesn't count. Like it's it's it has no rational basis in this discussion. And so like if you view that as intolerant, like it's in my opinion it's like I just don't know where else to go with you because this argument is over. There is no rational discussion to be had when you pick up a book, put it in front of your face and then plug your ears. Right? And I think that's the the main point he's trying to make. However, I I still tend to believe that we should err on the side of tolerance, especially in the realm of free speech. But reading about philosophies like this makes me want to question that deeply. Does that make sense? Because... You know, I love your dad's a badass. Like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we were both like infinite free speech, obviously, right? They should be allowed to say, and and this is one of those things. It's like, wait, actually take take these things to their logical extremes, to their like, where can it go in the worst case? And in the worst case, you can have factions of society that just do not even care to engage in in rational discussion. And that then makes you realize maybe there does need to be more of a curb on free speech, more of a curb on on, on what society knows is intolerance. At its core, we know that being a Nazi is intolerant, right? We, and like we said, you could say, well, being a liberal is intolerant, I guess. <laughs> but... Uh, you what what his point is at a certain point the society can probably realize that no that thing is just really 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 intolerant and that's kind of his argument any there is no rational argument to support that position and the only way that that, that intolerance can survive is by purposefully uh disconnecting itself from rational discourse how does it make you feel? So I, I'm going to say I'm still in the camp of free speech about where it is in the United States and that assaulting an individual for that speech is definitely not okay. Should we maybe have more hate speech laws like Canada and some other Western nations? I could go I could I would be happy to engage in a discussion on it and I could possibly be convinced. Yeah, I think it's difficult to make laws like the guy that got in trouble in Scotland got in trouble with that law yeah. because it's it's broad strokes, right? They're trying to eliminate all hate speech, which in this case includes satire. Yeah. Hate speech. Kind of like in Britain, like British comedians can't make fun of the queen. Yeah. Like that's that's too far. Right? Yeah, like, like, I that, agree that's, completely. You've gone too far. You can't make anyone above satire, in yeah. my opinion. Um, that being said, do I think that it is okay to go around assaulting anyone that you disagree with because you disagree with what they've said? Yeah. Oh, man, that, that you're going to have a real hard time pushing me over that line. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a few. There's a few. The first one is... Is punch a Nazi okay? And I think that 
I would never really budge on that. Make it a criminal thing. It's like punching, I mean, however much you might want to punch a rapist, uh, I don't think it's for you to decide yourself. Right. It depends on where along the line that rapist is. Yeah, that's a good point. And it also depends on, like, where, like, are they currently committing a rape? In that case, I wouldn't, like, if you killed them, it would be like, uh, you you were trying to stop a heinous crime, you know, and... Oh, no, yeah. Like, if, if someone's in the act of rape, yeah. and you should do something to end that act of rape that results in the death of the person doing the raping... Oh, man, I would have a real hard time convicting you of any crime. Same, same. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, in the back to the Nazi thing, if the thing that the Nazi is saying is not inciting of violence, it is more just espousing intolerance and hate, I don't think violence is your option. If the thing they are saying would could could make a reasonable person think that the action that they are being asked to take is violent, then that person might be needing needing a punch. So let's take this to an analogy, let's say. Um, because you, you made a you made a an interesting argument that if for example, we don't think that you should punch a Nazi. Um, I bet I could come up with a few scenarios, and maybe I'd have to choose the scenario for each person, in which they might punch a blank. And you actually kind of bring it up. It's one thing to just randomly know someone is a rapist and then choose to walk up to them and punch them, or know that they're a Nazi haven't committed a crime, and they're just standing there, and you go up and punch them. But I would argue that there's probably a fairly good chunk of people who, if a rapist were standing in front of you bragging about it, or otherwise discussing how they think, um, you know, it should be legalized because whatever fucked up reason they think it should be legalized, then you might convince a few people that they they might feel that they should they they shouldn't be convicted of assault for punching them. If someone is in your face, you know, bragging about a rape they committed and got away with, let's say, so they can't be retried or whatever, then I bet a few more people would punch them than you would initially guess, right? And and I honestly don't know. I've never had a rapist in my face bragging about it, and and. I'm not a very violent person, but that sounds like the type of individual that you might be like, I, 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 I don't know, <laughs> you know, like it's possible that you could be incited to. And so then I wonder, like, if you could be incited to violence with that speech, is it not maybe punch a Nazi because you know they're a Nazi, but punch a Nazi while they're getting up in in, in a Jewish person's face telling them that they deserve to be wiped from this earth. Well, that's you know? clearly, that's clearly harassment. What, what you just described as harassment. But, but you're not and allowed. If you're in the middle of the act of harassment, is it not self-defense to. I actually don't know. That's a good question. The blows? I actually don't know, but I'm, I'm thinking 
It, I'm going to have a hard yeah. time believing that you're going to get 12 people to agree that you should be in jail after someone walking into your face saying that thing and then you punching them. Yeah, I... Hmm. Sure. You may not get 12 people to agree, but draw the line as if you could draw the line and apply it clearly. Should that be legal or not? Yes, that should be legal. That's self-defense in my opinion. Yeah, see, and I th- I don't know that like your average court would agree. Um, and I actually don't know what the you know case law is on that. It's possible that it counts as self-defense or maybe they have to have said certain words to, to have it count as self-defense. Um, but even if someone were at, like talking to me and saying, you know, I hate Jews, like, you know, or whatever they're saying, I, again, ha- there's a difference between having committed a rape and being a loudmouthed Nazi who has yet to commit a crime. But I could see more people seeing how some things could incite you, even if you're not the victim of the harassment, but they're just even near you bragging about something or saying something just heinously ridiculous that in the moment you might be incited to act violently. Well, we already limit free speech in that case, right? So if you are speaking directly to another person and they've asked you to stop and you continue, then you've committed harassment. That is illegal. That's a limit on free speech that we are already okay with. Yeah, but it doesn't – just because it's illegal doesn't mean that you can respond with another illegal action. I agree. But we're talking about where free speech ends. It's already ended before the point we've come to here. Uh, Um, That's true. Like, yeah, if you're up in someone's face and shit, yeah. Okay, so this is a good point. I think if I'm not mistaken, the legal definition of – Self-defense is if you acted in a way where you had reason to believe that your health was in danger. Yeah. And someone screaming in your face that they think you should be eradicated seems like a reasonable person could think that their health might be in danger in that case. True. So I don't think that would be a terribly difficult case for a, re- for a competent lawyer to argue. Got it. Okay, so removing harassment in general, I would say... Now, if this person was up on a podium speaking to a large group of willing subjects rather than shouting in the face of one particular person, yeah. I, I do not think in that case harassment has been committed. Correct. So then in this case, no crime has been committed. Yeah. Now, you finish your speech. You've said nothing but hateful things about a wide variety of different not yous. Yeah. Uh, coming, down the la- coming down the stairwell off the stage – you are standing there. Yeah, someone punches you. Um, I'd have to. That s- seems like assault. I'd have to say I. I would personally, <laughs> assuming that the facts aren't, you know, are very clear. Uh, I would. I would. Uh, can you know, charge that person and convict. Try to convict that person of assault. So I, I'm generally not for the general punch a Nazi principle. I would charge them in the same way that they charge police officers. You charge them so that there's public view of you doing something, but then you don't try very hard because you don't actually want to convict them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I see, I see what you're saying, yeah. Because you're kind of like, yeah, but the guy's an asshole. Like the, 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 the David Duke or whatever is an asshole. You know, he kind of had it coming. Um you got to make it look like you're trying to convict them without actually trying to convict them. Like, fuck up some paperwork, 
forget an important witness. And I think reasonable people would kind of agree with that. It's it's like a, you know you maybe you're a person and you were sexually assaulted and as a child or something, and you fucking walk by a Nambla rally. And the guy speaking comes off the, you know, off the stairs. I think that you committed assault, but at the same time, I don't know that I would try that hard when you punched the Nambla guy. You know? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. (laughs) It's because there's two different lines. There's a line of what should be on paper the law. Yes. So that you can protect people. Correct. In many instances yeah and then there's what you know to be true which is usually different than the law yeah and you know it to be true that these people deserve to be punched (laughs) right like yeah you know it to be true that your society would be a a more happy harmonious place if they weren't in it yeah um but you also know to be true that it would be a more happy and harmonious place if in general people who punch other people are co- tried and convicted of assault, right? Yeah, in general. In, ge- in general, yeah. yes. I, but then there are a select few people, and you can't write around them in the law that just could use it. So, uh, yeah, they, they, I would still say, from a, because I like to be a little more uh, principled if I can, I would advocate for the assaulter to be convicted of assault. I don't know if I would advocate hard, but if someone <laughs> came up to me and said... The dude who punched the Nambla guy, the dude who was sexually assaulted as a as a young boy that punched the Nambla guy, um, should he be convicted of assault? I would answer yes. If he wasn't convicted, I would not shed a tear for the law having not been exercised in complete uniformity. Does that make sense, I guess? Because principled, I, 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 I'm like, it should be, that should be assault. I don't think the law of assault and the definition of assault should be changed. I yeah. just think that this is why prosecutors are people yeah. rather than than law robots. That's yeah. that there are sometimes they have to know the difference between like a real what we're trying to stop assault yeah. and someone being an asshole getting hit. Yeah. Like it's just like it, it, and it, it is a fine line, and I, and I'm not saying that you should go out and punch whoever. I'm just saying that we know, and the reason why this is even a conflict in our hearts is because, yeah, on paper the law should apply evenly to all. Correct. The same, and we know that it doesn't. Already, it doesn't. Yeah. Right. So there's any number of African American people who have died at the hands of police, who had had they been white. There would have been justice. So already the law doesn't work fine. Correct. Um, You know, and there's also a few, at least two people who are randomly arrested for sitting in a Starbucks waiting for their white friend. Um, So that happened. Had it been flipped, had it been the white friend waiting on his two black friends, I bet we would have never heard of it. Never fucking heard. There's no fucking way. And, And that's the thing where it's like... Part of me wonders, uh, so so the manager is just a fucking idiot, that that or racist, one of the two. Um, 
I'd like to think that he's just an idiot because I, I really don't know how you could be so. Even if you are racist, you have to know this isn't going to turn out well for me uh, when you call the cops on two dudes like very calmly sitting in a Starbucks. Um, then the cops arrested them. So then that's the next thing. Uh, on the one hand, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of what the cops are supposed to do, that when an establishment calls you and asks you to remove someone on your property, they do it. But I am also like 99.9% sure that if it were two white dudes, they would have reasoned with the manager and not arrested the two white dudes, right? I think that technically they carried out their duties as prescribed. Someone calls you and says, I want people removed, you remove them. But I am like one... There's a difference between them removing someone and arresting someone. Correct. If they had asked them to leave... They did, and I think they probably said they weren't going to willingly because they were waiting for their friend, in which case I actually don't know whether you can arrest people for that. I think you can, but that that's what... It doesn't matter. I think that... Technically, the police, they got a call, they took the people out of the, the private property or whatever. So maybe technically they did what they were supposed to. But I am close to 100% certain that if it were two white dudes dressed and showered the exact same fucking way, they would not have been removed via arrest. There's no fucking way. And that's the piece that's like... That's kind of where you're – that's the same thing with, with society. Maybe the law says that me as a police officer, when I am called to a scene and asked to remove someone from private property, I am supposed to remove them 100% of the time. But again, police officers aren't minority report robots. They are human beings. And I think that in the case of white people, they would have like figured out a way to get the manager to be like, hey, chill. They said they're waiting for their friend. Give them an opportunity for their fucking friend to come in and chill your balls off. And instead, they arrested them. And so that's where they may have, I think, technically applied what they were supposed to do, but not in a human way, in a racist law robot way. And whereas a law robot would have kind of been better because we would have known that they would have removed the two white people in the same manner because they are colorblind, theoretically Theoretically. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Well, this train has gone off topic. It has. Um, but I, I, wait, before we finish, I'm, I'm curious, because we got a little too bogged down on the should you punch a Nazi type of thing. For me, I love the paradox, but I want to know, has reading this paradox, or, or like just reading just the very brief information that you can find on Wikipedia or... In Karl Popper's statement in his book, like, has that nudged you at all in your perception of free speech and where it should or should not end? Yeah, I I think so. The thing that I'd like to hear is I'd like to hear Sam Harris's take on this. Okay. Because if you don't know who Sam Harris is, he's a famous atheist speaker. And he always goes on about how, you know, people shouldn't protest controversial talkers on campuses and stuff like that because we're limiting free speech. Yeah. And he's very, very much anyone should be able to say anything. Yeah. 
And I've all, it's always felt wrong to me. And this is something that I read that made me kind of put more solidity to maybe this is why it feels not. Wrong. It feels wrong that there should be unlimited free speech. Um, now, while it's while you you say that it may have nudged you, do you know where it has nudged? Has it nudged you in actually making a statement of here is where I think the line should be moved to? Or is it just nudged you in a in a kind of philosophical sense? I feel more that what has nudged me towards is believing that protesting speakers to the point where they are not allowed to speak publicly is probably more okay. I feel more okay yeah. with that than I felt before. I see what you're saying. So and and, and and I think that's a good argument because it's it's like on the one hand, I want speech to be fairly free. But on the other hand, um, while the paradox would still occur, ad ad you know ad infinitum, um, it it makes you feel like maybe that's the check on the paradox is that it just becomes while the free speech is still there and the society is still tolerant in the fact that you can speak and it's not criminal to say certain things. That society, while tolerant, um, projects its intolerance of intolerance by drowning it out. So it's so hard for that speech to actually make it because it's just so ridiculous. You know, it's so non-rational. And so maligned. And so maligned. By and so maligned by society. And so it's like, on like kind of the same thing. On paper, free speech is free speech. But in practice, the society is tolerant. Of letting the people speak, but intolerant of actually making that speech viable. Right, you know? and so, and and it's just the same argument they hear all the time: is that the speaker has a right to speak, but so do all of the protesters yelling at him that he sucks. Correct. They don't. You have a right to speak. You don't have a right to be heard. And so maybe that's the thing: is that we we claim that we are tolerant of all speech but that we will drown it out when necessary. And, and sometimes that can be bad, right? Sometimes that can be, um, you know, people drowning out policies that we now accept as the norm, you know? Just another example of a topic that might seem on its surface to be simple. Yeah. Should free speech be a tenet of society that is never, nothing <laughs> is ever so simple as that as a yes or no answer? Yeah. Um. Obviously, the answer is not no. There should not be free speech. It's not a society. That's obviously wrong. Yeah. And it's also becoming more clear in my mind that it's obviously wrong that all speech should always be protected all the time. Right? Because yeah. that's now obviously wrong. The correct answer, like with everything else, is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I think still, though, it sounds like we both err on the side of free speech laws shouldn't change. Um. But we're, it makes me more comfortable of exactly those things where people protest a speaker to the point that they can't even conceivably get their message out. And that's where we have the check. That's the check on the, the freedom of speech in the United States and on the you know paradox of tolerance. If 300 people show up to protest you, and they are angry, and they have signs. And 10,000 people show up to hear you, guess what? You're going to be hurt. Yeah. So, 
Let's society in that case has deemed your message worthy. Yeah. If those numbers are flipped, yeah. you're probably not going to say anything. Yeah. And that society telling you your brand is not welcome here. Exactly. We are tolerant of your right to attempt to speak, but intolerant of actually listening to your irrational message. <laughs> Okay, um, what what do we need to tell people, Rob? Uh, Facebook is a good way to come in contact with us. Yeah. A couple people have made specific Facebook chats that have just included me and Aaron in them and asked us questions that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that works. Uh, posting in the group, uh, getting some discussions going would be nice. Uh, shooting us an email at stillgotnothing at gmail.com. Cool. Dude, so... Shout out to your dad. Shout out to Rick Ambrell for giving us this topic. Uh, I feel like we need more of that because I feel like while we're fairly good at discussing politics, I feel like I get way more into the episodes where we're discussing philosophy or something along those lines. And so I'd love to get, you know, like the red button episode or the button <laughs> episode. That was one of, I think, my other top five. Uh, because it generates a lot of discussion, and it, you know, we're—I feel like we're just kind of here to give you some interesting discussion on it, and then you go think about it, right, or or something like that. I guess I—I'd I, like to think that we've at least changed someone's mind on something. I don't know. Yeah, like you know, one percent—we've ticked the bar one percent on one thing <laughs> in one person's mind. But if you think of a cool, like, philosophy topic or anything else, like, let us know, because I think this one was awesome. I, as soon as you sent this to me and I read it, I was like, this is going to be fun. Like, I, Because <laughs> whenever I read things like this where this is what I think the answer to the world is, and then you read about a philosopher who came up with, a, like, a way to just, like, fucking chop off the head of the way you believe what you believe, or at least make you question it deeply – it it just makes life more fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and having that, that that moment where you where you realize you may not have thought about something as hard as you needed to have thought about yeah. it. Yeah, that's a good moment because like you start really like, oh, okay, okay. I didn't I didn't think of that. I, I didn't think uh, of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, you know, it feels good to say that all free speech should always be protected, but it doesn't feel right, and I just couldn't put my finger on why that wasn't right. And this is probably one of a lot of reasons why that isn't totally right. And I'm sure that there's, there's a ton of other great thoughts around limits of free speech. And uh, we are getting back into the discussion yeah. when we need to be saying things like, tune you in next in. week <laughs> for another week of us asking each other if there's anything else we have. Hey, hey Rob, you got anything else? Nothing.